It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome to Money for Lunch. I am so excited that you're here. Hey, real quick, I want to send a shout out to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis receives the uh, Vanguard Award uh, for Lionsgate Gate movie, A Knives Out. It's coming out uh, November 27th of this year. Congratulations to Jamie Lee Curtis for that award. Uh, always a fan favorite. Um, let's see. All right. Let's party on. No, no. Let's get started with the code of the day. What am I thinking, man? The beauty of a woman is not in a facial mode, but the true beauty in a woman is reflected in her soul. It is the caring that she lovingly gives, the passion that she shows. The beauty of a woman grows with the passing of years by Audrey Hepburn. I'm thinking that would probably work both ways for both men and women. All right, let's get this party started. On the show today, I'm being joined by Alex Slayton. Alex Zay- yeah, Slayton, the author of the book Responsible Dental Ownership. Uh, Alex has more than 10 years of management experience before he accepted the position as CEO of Maxident, a company that makes dental practice management software. His company helps struggling dental professionals to take control of their practice and reach the next level of success with responsible leadership strategies. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, Bert. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here, and I want to make sure I got your last name correct. It's Z-L-A-T-I-N. Is that Zlayton? Yes, that's correct. All right. And uh, for you guys who are interested, uh, you can also find Alex at Alex Slayton. Z-L-A-T-I-N dot com. All right. So, Alex, tell us a little bit um, about um, how you got into the whole dental background. I mean, you've earned a a degree from, uh, uh, what do you call it, technology management. Um, I'm sorry. You earned a degree in technology management at at uh, HIT, is that right? HIT in Israel. You also earned an MBA at Edinburgh Business School. So was your focus always dentistry or is this something that just kind of organically happened? Talk about this. That's, uh, that's great. So, so yeah, um, I, a lot of my early management experience has been working in various industries in Israel, from security to manufacturing to logistics. Um, and uh, and even sales, uh, working with professionals in the restaurant business. Um, and then I came to Canada in uh, towards the end of uh, 2012, and uh, I got a job in uh, in Maxim Software Systems that were dealing with dental software. Um, so quickly I started working with a lot of offices, office managers, receptionists, hygienists, and dentists. And I realized that uh, they're very good at what they do, but they are not really good in 
everything that has to do with management and business and, uh, and owning a business. So anywhere from customer service, human resource, marketing, financials, all of those aspects were foreign to them, and they were struggling with it. Um, and through those conversations, I was able to leverage my experience and help them uh, get real results. And therefore, I decided that it's a good idea to write a book and kind of go uh, out to the public and share that information with not only the dentists who own clinics and their office managers and staff, but also uh, because the majority of it applies to any small, medium business. Yeah, no, absolutely correct. You know, it's funny you should say that. Uh, you know, there are great dentists out there. There are great surgeons out there. Uh, what do you call it? Lawn care people, plumbers, you name it, right? And they're good, as you said, at what they do, at, at what they do, that core competency. But where a lot of us grew up, including myself, is getting that management put together, making sure the invoices go out, make sure that the invoices are getting paid on time, that pay, you know, all the different things, taxes, payroll, blah, blah, blah. It just becomes overwhelming. Uh, and, and so this is so critically important to get the stuff under control. Yeah, and, and dentists are, are, are interesting in that regard because um, they're like an owner-operator business even when they grow and have staff. Uh, they need to be working with patients and treating patients and diagnosing patients for the majority of the day. Uh, so they don't have time to check if everyone is doing their job outside of that. And if they do have time for that, they're not treating or diagnosing, which means eventually they're going to have less income. So that's kind of their uh, catch-22, and this is why they need to build a team around their purpose and around what they think their clinic should be known for um, so everyone's on the same page. Yeah, no, I like that. So let's talk about this. How does the corporate culture affect employees' wellness? Well, uh, you see, we uh, everyone uh, works about five days a week, um, if not more, and uh, that work experience, how we feel at work, how we feel waking up in the morning knowing that we are going to go to work, um, is, is affecting our well-being, is affecting how we operate at work. It affects us in terms of how we uh, behave ourselves and how we feel uh, when we go home. It affects our sleep. It affects all of, all of the aspects of our life. Um, so having a culture uh, within the company, uh, regardless of size, um, is instrumental uh, not just for effectiveness and efficiency of employees and therefore customer satisfaction, but it's also very important for the people outside of work, their family lives, their friendships and relationships with their close, uh, close, uh, close ones. Um, so all of this is interconnected and very important. And so the, the better the culture the better the experiences and the better the service and the work that employees do. Uh, same goes on the other side. Uh, if the corporate culture is poor, you're going to have a lot of sick days, you're going to have a lot of stressed out employees, and you're going to have people that are doing the bare minimum just to pass the time and go home. Sure, sure. And you know what? It's interesting that you said that because when you were talking about uh, about that that culture, there are a lot of people that start to get anxiety Sunday, right? 
or, you know, whenever, you know, for some people it's going to be, you know, whatever, whatever day it is that their weekend falls on because some people uh, in, in the uh, restaurant industry or hospitality industry tend to have a weekend in the middle of the week. Uh, but a lot of people who are maybe they don't like their job or their boss, they start getting anxiety a day before they have to go back to work. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but uh, that's uh, a lot of people throughout the world are like that, and there there are a few elements that that are facilitating that type of uh, feeling. Uh, one is the incompatibility between Start the, show. The, pur- uh, the purpose of the employee and the purpose of the company and the people who lead it. If there's uh, if they are not in line. Uh, there's a big problem uh, that happens because people believe in different things. They have different core values and and different understanding of priorities. Uh, The other thing that often contributes to that is when um, employees are not really sure or clear as to what is expected from them. So even if the purpose is aligned, uh, but the expectations are not, and because you you never know what you're being expected to do or how you're expected to behave, um, you have that feeling of anxiety because it's almost you're never right and you're always wrong. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. It's, it's uh, you know, it's amazing. I read someplace that employees, most employees don't quit their company. They quit their department or they quit their boss, right? Uh and so really the boss, the person in charge of the department, or maybe in some cases if it's a small enough company, it's going to be the dentist or the, the, the owner of the company. They're the ones who can really set that environment up. Um, so let me ask you this. Since we've been talking about uh, culture, how do you identify when a culture change is needed? I think the biggest um, uh, kind of signal that you can get would be a signal from the clients. Um, there would be things um, and complaints escalated to you as a leader or, or as a manager um, that will not be just basic upon you know something like a individual specific interaction, but they would be in broader terms. Uh, the other thing is is looking at um, at staff turnover, looking at the amount of sick time that is being taken. Um, there are other more subtle things that you can observe similar to uh, how many in, uh, face-to-face interactions are there between employees. Is all the communication done over email or they actually enjoy, you know, hanging around doing that water cooler talk? Uh, are they laughing or they're just all strictly business, very, you know, walking on eggshells? Um, kind of conversation. Uh, those are signals that you pick up throughout the day, uh, and when enough of them um, rise or are discovered or observed, uh, it's time to kind of sit back and say, okay, uh, maybe it's time that we embark on this corporate uh, culture change. Uh, and the reality is um, you don't just embark on a corporate culture uh, change. I think it's an ever-ending evolution of corporate culture. There's always a goal that you want all the employees to be happy and feel safe and feel like a family. 
you also want your clients to be all happy and satisfied. But the reality is it's not something that you can just achieve. Uh, right. You always want to strive there and improve. Absolutely. You know, and it's so funny, too, because I've heard so many people talk about, hey, we want to have this family atmosphere. We want to do, you know, we want to, you know, whatever, uh, have a, a family type of unity in our business. And what, what always cracks me up about that is if you've overworked in a family-owned business, that's not always fun and easy, right? I mean, a family-owned business can be a severe pain in the butt. I mean, anybody who is, you know, saying anybody who's ever been involved in a family-owned business can tell you that it's not always easy. Uh, and sometimes uh, it would be better to be more professional, right? It, it, so it's kind of funny when people talk about that, they forget that a family-owned business has uh, or a family type environment, you know, if you look at, if you think of a family dynamic, you know, we all have our, you know, what do you call it? Issues and things of that nature. So it's not always easy, but I think uh, you have to be aware that when you're trying to create a fun family atmosphere, you're going to have difference of opinions. You're going to have uh, people who, you know, for whatever reason, call it a, a mental health day or just need a break, things of that nature. Uh, anyway, uh, it just wanted to throw that out there. Um, yeah, but, right, so, but you're right. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm saying you're right, uh, exactly. People, I know people romanticize the word family in a work environment, uh, and they do forget. There's no such thing as perfect world, and, you know, the biggest fights, the most passionate uh, disputes are within a family, but the thing, uh, the quality that relates from family to a work environment is that family never quits on each other. Um, yes. So whatever the disagreements, whatever the disputes, you just work together towards a common goal, um, and that's kind of what people really mean when they when they strive towards building a family environment in a workplace. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because. I love the fact that you said that family doesn't give up on each other. And that's so true. I mean, family forgives and sometimes forgiveness takes time. You know, we've all had situations where, uh, you know, somebody in a family does something that, you know, is, is not well liked and you just kind of have to do that. So, uh, yeah, I like that idea that family forgives. You have to be willing to do that. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, here you are, you're running, you're the CEO of Maxident. You, you've done some other stuff uh, uh, in the area of business. And, and, and so my question to you is, how do you measure the success or failure when you're implementing change? How do you determine if the impact is positive or negative? Talk about that. So, uh, you know, as, as you lead this change, which is one of the most difficult things a leader can do, um, there, there are a couple of aspects to it. And one that is very important to, to mention, uh, because a lot of times it, it doesn't get uh, enough uh, of the spotlight, is that uh, in most companies, especially when it's an established company with clients, you choose to do a, what's called a slow and tedious change. 
um, that's a type of change that, that is going on. And, and throughout that, it takes years uh, of baby steps creating um, or, or pushing towards that uh, culture change. And to the person who is leading it, uh, this can be a very lonely process um, filled with self-doubt uh, and, um, and, you know, just the, the thinking of maybe nothing is changing or all the efforts are futile. Um, right. And in those cases, I think it's very important for those people leading uh, this type of changes to go back to the company's purpose and core values and see that regardless of the challenges and bumps uh, on the road, um, there is a goal that is worth all of this effort and stress. Um, now, from the other side, if you're looking at trying to measure uh, the success or failure of, of, of said change, I think there are um, somewhat like beacons of success that you can measure. So, for instance, uh, in in my company in, in Maxim, um, there was not enough laughter going around. People would not interact in those matters. Um, uh, employees between themselves, and one of the things that I have noticed, fast forward two years into this process of change, is that people tend to speak with each other more face to face, have those laughing moments that you can hear throughout the office. We have an open space office. Uh, and I think just having that laughter creates a more relaxed environment where people are just not focused on their own stressors, but they can interact and share those comical moments together and build those relationships. The other beacon of success uh, that is the one of the biggest in my mind is the fact that clients actually call and make comments about the changes. So clients that have been with you for a while all of a sudden notice changes and they make a point of calling you and, and bringing that up. And I think that is one of the biggest signals of success uh, that you can ever have uh, throughout uh, this corporate change. Yeah, no, I think that's probably the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the best one, right? I mean, if, if people are saying, hey, I've noticed this, you know, my customer service has improved. When I call there, people are, seem to be happier, uh, something like that. Uh, I think that's a great uh, signal that, hey, you're on the right track, right? I mean, it, it's just it's – just, uh, uh, what do you call it? I think when somebody's telling you that they've noticed the change in a positive way, I think that's a great, great uh, measure of success. Yeah, and another, and another one that is uh, maybe important to mention is uh, people who are really loyal to the company, employees that are really loyal, uh, would mention this to you as well uh, because they're going to say, look, um, you know, I was skeptical at first, obviously, because everyone's afraid of change, and they 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 try to figure out their place in the new uh, in the new environment that that is being developed. Um, but through that, they would tell you, you know what? I was skeptical at first, but it seems like we have a better company now. And those uh, comments made by loyal employees 
uh, are also very powerful, almost as powerful as the customer's ones. Sure, sure. And let me get your take on this, because sometimes when you're making these changes, you're looking for people, you know, quite frankly, who want to change. And you're also looking for those who don't want to change because you got to get them out of there. Sometimes you have to get rid of the, you know, toxic people, right? Yeah, uh, there there are always people. Well, I, I guess no person really wants to change. I guess the uh, the the human nature aspect of it is that they want everyone else to change. Yeah. Um, but the person who who is leading a corporate change, um, first of all, they have to make sure that they have um, core values, a set of core values that is very in line with their personal ones. Um, and then have a really uh, clearly defined purpose uh, that defines why does the company exist? Why should people come to work? And once you have that, um, and every you know investigation of a problem, every celebration of success, everything goes back to that purpose and to those core values, I think it creates a clarity for ev- everyone in terms of how they're expected to behave and how to make decisions if their manager is not around. Um, and that transparency with the core values and, and the expectations uh, creates an environment where everyone knows if someone is a good fit to the culture that you're trying to build and if someone is not a good fit. And um, it's not only that everyone else sees it, but the individual sees that it's, uh, themselves. Uh, and I think that is um, kind of the it, – it's, it's not a, an easy approach uh, to identify the right people to, to stay with the company, but it's definitely one that fits with a, a, a slow corporate culture change approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. All right, so – Again, you work a lot with the dental space, and obviously everything that we've been talking about applies to dentists, but it also applies to anybody who's trying to run a company. I want to ask you this. um, How does the company's leadership affect the success or failure of a corporation or a practice or a small business? Talk about, you know, how important the leadership is, how it affects the environment, and even the, the, the culture change. Yeah, so I remember myself being younger and, you know, going being, being an employee myself and being a part of middle management. Um, I always felt uh, disconnected from uh, upper management and from the company. Uh, I, w- I really liked my job, and I was really loyal in that respect, but I never really felt connected to... Uh, the big plan, the big schema of things, um, and I couldn't really figure out why. And when I took the role of CEO and I took upon myself to create a purpose, a vision, and a set of core values, uh, I realized that uh, what I've observed when I was younger is that the upper management uh, did not behave according to the core values of that company. And because they didn't, I didn't feel obligated or to do so as well, and I didn't feel like those core values matter. So 
once I created the set of core values and purpose and vision here, um, I make sure that I behave according to them every single day because I know that the moment I don't, no, I, I can't expect everyone else um, to do so. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know what? There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than somebody telling you, you know, do what I say, not what I do, right? I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, it kills, it kills the momentum. It kills, you know, everything. I mean, it's either management's got to be uh, committed or it's just not, it's going to fail. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, regardless of whether you're middle management, a team lead, upper management, um, as soon as you rise from the regular employee um, to any uh, leadership role, uh, people are watching you every single day. They watch you as you come into work in the morning, and if you're not happy, it's going to affect their day. Um, if you're angry, if all of that is show, it, it, it just shows, and people feel it. So, people who are in those leadership positions in whatever, uh, at whatever level, uh, must make sure that they carry themselves in line and in the spirit of the company's purpose and core values every single day. And some days, uh, you know, people have challenges with their personal life or even challenges at work, uh, but you can't let that affect you because that trickles down and affects everyone in the company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and this is something that I think leadership needs to uh, be aware of, right? And that is, and that is sometimes a good leader apologizes when they screw up, right? Maybe, the, like you said, everybody has a bad day. So you come in, you're having a bad day, then for heaven's sakes, apologize. There's nothing wrong with apologizing. There's nothing wrong with showing that you're human and, and that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you screw up or you don't feel 100%. And I think that this is something that, good leaders do and it shows it shows uh everybody that you know that when you screw up you admit it you apologize you move on yeah and you know i i think a big uh component of building a relationship is showing vulnerability and yes. it works for salespeople will with clients uh and it works even better for managers and leaders in the corporate world um, to create that relationship on the same level. Just because you have a title and you have some authority doesn't mean you have to use it uh, because you're just a human being. And just creating those relationships on the basis of showing vulnerability and not being afraid to show that, uh, I think it goes a long way and it helps create that environment in the company um, that uh, of people being approachable, especially leadership. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
we're out of time. I've enjoyed our time together. Alex Slayton, thank you so much for stopping by. If you want to find out more about Alex, about Alex Slayton, if you want to find out about his book, Responsible Dinner, Dental Ownership. My lips are wearing out. Responsible Dental Ownership. You can go to alexslayton.com. Responsible Dental Ownership. Is it available on Amazon as well? Yes, in all formats. In all formats, Responsible Dental Ownership. Alex Slayton, thank you so much for stopping by today. Thanks, Bert. It's been a blast. All righty. Good stuff there from Alex Slayton. And, uh, you know, everything that we talked about today obviously applies to your business, my business, to every business. It, culture is so important, and, it's, you know, it starts from the top, right? There are no exceptions. You, if you're going to set down some culture standards, everybody's got to live by them. And leaders, and it starts and fails with the leadership implementing that culture. As always, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people as possible consider changing their culture, upgrading their culture. If you know a dentist specifically, let them know about dental responsible dental ownership. As always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.